This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Evan. And we're going to talk about Exhibit Piece by Philip K. Dick, first published in If Worlds of Science Fiction, August 1954. I read this when I brought it into the public domain. And I'm looking at the PDF. It's quite old. I can see my the artifacting from when I, I built it. The PDF, that is. And seeing how bad it is, it should be redone uh, now that I have the skill level to bring it into beauty, beautiful form it deserves. And I remember reading it and thinking, eh, it's okay, it's not his best. But I had to read a lot uh, for this episode. And I'm starting to think it's actually a lot better than I thought it was. Interesting. What do you guys think of this story? I love this story. Interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. The first time I listened to it, I thought, okay, it's a good story. Then I watched the show, that, then I... The show, which is the uh, the episode of Electric Dreams that that this is based on, and then I listened to the episode again, and I thought that's deeper than I thought. That's actually it's interesting, right? In relief, it, it, it set set apart from the the show, which is it's actually I think the best one we've seen so far. Oh, the show! I love. Yeah, the I show. agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even even though it's uh, the best one we've seen so far, the story stands out as actually this is a better much better story than I I remembered it being. This exhibit piece is so interesting in comparison to the show because they mm. are related, but uh, the tropes of television <laughs> are not the tropes of Philip K. Dick. And uh, I, I was just, I was struck, especially by thinking about how, how the two are compared um, this is the episode entitled Real Life. It's episode five in the order we're watching it. It's the first episode for the for the U.S. release. Which and is, I can see why. Now. Yeah, you start with something strong, right? You start with something strong. You start with uh, two strong actors. Yep. Anna Paquin and Terrence Howard. And that's Cookie that, Stackhouse that's, and Terrence Howard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's that's, absolutely that's a good true. Start. Right, it, 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 they're they're strong. The script is relatively strong. They're, the episodes are very very. Uh, the, the, this episode of the show is very different from the story, uh, but slightly inspired by it. You can see how it's inspired by it. Yeah, but, definitely. But I'm thinking, oh, it's also you know they're taking from we can remember it for you wholesale, right? With the mm-hmm. quote unquote vacation, right? And sort of getting confused as to which one is which and. Um, but there's a line in the show, I guess it comes up twice, actually, in the show where, uh, Anna Paquin says, um, uh, yeah, I'm living a male fantasy. This is like the, some sci-fi writer's idea of, uh, of the future. Yes, I'm a, I'm a that. lesbian super cop who has sex with his wife, uh, her wife <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, wait a second. This is based on a Philip K. Dick story that is one of those sci-fi stories, which has no lesbians, has no cops, has no flying cars. Uh, may- maybe there's a there's a robot driver, but it's on a pub tram, so it's fucking hmm. bus. 
<laughs> right? And it, it's a it's a suburban uh, utopia, and the future is a dystopia in the short story. This is why it's so interesting is that in setting the two together, juxtaposing them, you've got the terrible idiocy of television tropes and actually okay adaptation even you've though you've got this idiocy television tropes and then you've got this very thoughtful very personal very 1950s science fiction story that exemplifies an an idea of the future and seeing them two like that the story stands head and shoulders up above just a regular science fiction story I think. Hmm. And what are these? Um, what are the television tropes that you're talking about that oh, you've seen? Number one, number one is they're cops. Why are they cops? No reason. That's what television does, right? right. <laughs> the, the television show. It's. I mean, I was thinking about. I actually fell asleep at the end watching it because I was watching it quite late, and I'm like, and those title cards come up between the ads, and that just puts me out, right? And and then the final title card. Um, I'm like, oh, what happened? I had to rewind. And basically, not a lot happened at the end. The end of this one, oh, man. Well, I disagree entirely. Well, Not a lot happens at the end. I disagree entirely with okay. that statement. Well, yeah, uh, I think it's doing the same job, but it's just so... S- it's, 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 it, it, it is written and oriented for television because it is a television show. It's true. That end. That ending. Like, go, go on with the go, go on what you say with the story. We'll get back to well, that in a moment. Well, thinking about, like, what is the plot in, in the two worlds in real life? One is, um, they, 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 they killed my partner, or my partners, all 15 of them. Uh, okay, which we're told in very clunky, uh, you know, dialogue. And, and then she's sad about that. She's got survivor's remorse. And then the other guy says... I have a problem with that too. Let's talk about those fingers that you're not eating, right? Those French fries that you're not eating. Um, what are the French fries and, and uh, hamburger in the in the in the story? That's the um, breakfast with the flapjacks that the uncle, yeah. who was in World War One, doesn't like, right? Mm-hmm. And and what is the yeah. what is the physical uh, trauma that shows up in in the uh, the story, as opposed to the, the the TV show. TV show, everybody punches each other and has a shootout, and and it comes to nothing, <laughs> right? Like, what did that what did that storyline for the dystopia with Terrence Howard? It's not much of a dystopia for him, right? What did that storyline uh, come to? Billionaire. Nothing, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. It comes to nothing, and you know, the murder of his wife doesn't matter because we never get that's never resolved. The murder of, or the the cops doing the tracking down the the murders of the I guess other cops doesn't matter because it doesn't come to anything. Whereas in this in the short story we've got everything coming, the, all the threads, right? He his trauma is his wife says you've got hay fever. Right? The concussion is hay fever in the show in the in the story. And this is this is exactly why it's so interesting. Is it's all the threads are brought together, and at the end, I'm like thinking, oh, that's an interesting ending with a uh, total world destruction ahead. But in in relief, 
uh, and thinking about what's going on with the, you know, they're going to demolish, quote unquote, demolish, demolished man, right? Demolish the um, the exhibit. Uh-huh. Uh, so good. Mr. PKD, yeah. you're doing your job so well today. Mm-hmm. Here's a cookie. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, I mean, that, that last headline goes back to the whole ambiguity of the whole story. Is is he has he really found the time portal in nineteen fifties or has he really gone over the edge and that newspaper is just an indication that yeah, that he's suffered a final mental breakdown. It's a schizoid it's, embolism, as they say. A schizoid embolism. I I you've all seen Total Recall. The the only I, one that exists, not the sequel. The only one that exists not not the, <laughs> not, not the remake, God help us. Um you saw have you ever listened to the commentary? I'm sure I you, did at one point, yeah. So, so in the in the commentary, the director and Schwarzenegger go back and forth about whether the stuff that happens after he's gone to recall is real or not. Schwarzenegger, as the actor, says, "No, no, it's all real. It's all happening." Yeah, well, he's and not the direct. The director explicitly says, "No, no, this is all fake." And so, at the ending, when that they're facing the sun on the terraformed Mars and the, the white light lights everything out. The director says basically that, yeah, that's that's the uh, them wiping his brain and that's the end, mm. which is kind of a downer. But I, I appreciate the ambiguity. You could run it either way, mm-hmm. whereas the non-existent sequel is completely unambiguous. And that's one of the reasons why I annoy this, annoyed by this. This story brings goes back to the ambiguity, like, is, did he really step through a time portal? Is he ha- having a breakdown? We don't know. I mean, the 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 the, t- the TV episode, Real Life. I was hoping for an ambiguous ambiguous ending. We didn't get it, but the one they picked makes sense in context. Yeah. That yes, it does. It's it's good. It's good. But it's it's like this is the the best episode so far, right? And I, I was like, well, this is interesting, right? Back and forth and. Uh, but the more you the more you look at it, the more you say, well, why is this happening? Why why is that particular like the psychology stuff is good. I think it's very interesting. Um, and with the with the crossover characters in both universes, that's all really good. But ultimately, it just sets sets the sets the story as like, wow, this is amazing what he what PKD can do uh, in a short story can inspire something, you know, for TV, but it, there's no st- threads that are pulled, in, that you can pull on in the short story exhibit piece that I think will t- make the story fall apart at all. It's actually quite subtle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it fits mm-hmm. with so many of the other stories that, that even the commuter is almost the same uh, effect. Um, but he does something slightly different with... The, what's the future like? They're all wearing robes, right? Um, so it kind of fits with that that character. Uh, what's his? Uh, the uh, guy who runs this second century uh, philosophy, uh, philosophy era Greece. Carnap? Uh, yeah, no, Carnap's the head yeah. of the whole museum. Well, I mean, the one here, it's a. What's, oh, what's that guy's name? Fleming. Fleming. Yeah, Fleming. Oh. Fleming. Yeah, yeah, so Fleming Fleming is he's like an officious and and a jerk, or he's just like, dude, you are losing your mind, right? 
It's one thing to, you know, I mean, if you think about it, this guy is nuts. Even the robot bus driver's like, sir, why are your clothes like that? <laughs> <laughs> Even the robot yeah. bus driver's upset. It's like, why? But do any of you know how, my, how much time Dick spent in university? I know he dropped out. Not a ton is my guess. but Because he seems to understand these academic specialists. This isn't the first oh, time yeah. you have this. There's that story with the frog and the Zeno's paradox mm-hmm. that has the same kind of weird banter and one-upmanship between two academics, each in their kind of idiosyncratic academic you know, corner. And, act, you know, acting in really bizarre ways. And it's a bit of a caricature, but you see this manifest actually in academic mm-hmm. departments, I think. Mm. And one, you know, I'm kind of sad the story or the, the they didn't go with the historian route, you know, maybe they couldn't, but I, I've never really seen historians in TV shows. No, you never really, see them. Their, their day. Um, but he's in this story. So that's one reason I, when I read this story the first time, it didn't like, it's not something I came back to. I always like this story in part because it's dealing with a, a historian and I kind of recognize the character in a way, especially the, 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 the histor- historical specialist who's, who thinks that their time period is, you know, got some wisdom that we're missing out on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, the, it's, 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 it's fascinating to see like he's, he's so into it, right? His, his, mm-hmm. the, his subject that yeah, it's almost reasonable. You know, people uh, will dress up, right? <laughs> They're, you know, saying, "Look, I'm, I'm, you know, those really Cosplay. good teachers. Yeah, those really good right. teachers Cosplay at becomes school. Reality. They just, they really throw themselves into the work. They don't just do the bare minimum. And the, but this would be like a history professor coming into class in powdered wigs and culottes yeah. uh, <laughs> and things. Right? Well, but, it's like 200 years. But later. no, a public school prof- uh, teacher would totally do that if they're the, that rare exceptional teacher. You know, one of my students mm-hmm. uh, yesterday was telling me that uh, after their their AP history exam, the teacher uh, said, "Okay, today I, I'm pretty sure you guys aren't going to be able to work on your essays because you're you're too burned out." So. We're going to sing Stan Rogers songs, <laughs> which is sea shanties, right? It's like, yeah. wow, that sounds like a good teacher. You know, like I, I'm i not a big fan of sing-alongs, but <laughs> that's, that guy really enjoys being a teacher and, and sort of helping the kids go through it. And so I, I do recognize that throwing... Uh, you know, throwing yeah. yourself into your work and and think of how terrible their world is. Um, it's so yeah. subtle, right? He's like he says a few times as well, like how much he loves his work. He's like obsessed with it, and then his colleague just sees that as an eccentric, eccentric dude that is not allowed in that world, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't even have that little interest. As he, it's just like so he completely says, conformist. He says, I wish you could see this side, Carnap. It's a nice place here. Freedom. Opportunity. Right? He's talking about the United States. This is great. Limited government. Oh, responsible to the people. If you don't like your job here, you can quit. There's no euthanasia. What? (laughs) Come on over. I'll introduce you to my wife. Again, he has no wife in in the quote-unquote real world, right? And, And... and where does he live? It's it's only subtly mentioned one time. 
he lives in a dormitory for the museum, for the department, right? Mm-hmm. It's This is like a, a Spartan lifestyle, like literally the Spartans, right? Yeah, I'm surprised he even gets away with what he does. Like for the for that level of the story, he seems to be living a pretty. He's having a psychotic break this this particular day, I think, right? Like he's he's decided he's going for it, right? Mm-hmm. And but his friend is is warning him as well. I have to report him. Yeah. Your your archaic clothing affected archaic speech and mannerisms. You did everything possible to throw yourself back. Uh, in, uh, you devote devoted yourself, yourself to, to your work. work. There yeah. it is. And it would be a shame, Miller, terrible shame to demolish such an authentic replica. <laughs> oh, that's talking about the exhibit, right? But yeah, but a, yeah. it's almost like he's. It, it's uh, like the way the narrator in the audiobook uh, portrays it. There's malice, right? But I think mm-hmm. you can read it another way. It's like, dude, I'm your friend. It would be a sh- like he can't say we're friends because the, they live in a dystopia like hell, right? It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, quote unquote, it's not actually quoted in the story, but it is political correctness, right? You can't do anything. You can't go against anything that isn't officially sanctioned by the government. And that is freaky, right? No wonder he wants to, you know, escape into this little reality that he's he's constructing. And th- there's a, another story which we have not, y- you and I and uh, I, or I and I and you. Anyways, you, you, and I, how about that? You, you, and I have not covered, uh, but I did years ago. It's called Small Town by Philip K. Dick. This is about a guy who lives in the 1950s suburbs, and he constructs a a train set with a map of the entire town in his basement. And he spends all his time down there making it every detail match. And he just eventually can control the town and control the reality and is it is he a delusion that's exactly what we've got here except it's life-size right one house and then the view beyond it just beyond the paper route right just beyond the driveway is all fake it's all the real world which is the fake world that he doesn't want to live in so you can go into that house and look at the the car in the garage and and just add all those details and then it's 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 like the the dioramas in the American Museum of Natural History, where you go and see the see, see these dioramas of animals. You have the stuffed animal in the front, and some, some suggestion of the of the of the uh, terrain around, and then you have a a matted pat painted background of mm-hmm. what the world is like, and that's all, all there is. While it looks like at first glance, yeah, you could go forever into the African savanna or whatnot, but really in the end, yeah, it's just two feet, and then you're back at the wall. Mm. And it just thinking about how great this story is and think, well, what did they do in the in the show? And one of the things they did was, oh, they they gender flipped it. Right. Oh, that's very modern, very of its time. Right. I mean, I mean, of our time. They modernized it and had in one reality, the, the, the main character is a lesbian and the other is a person of color, which. If, if the show was made even 10, 15 years ago, they wouldn't have thought to done it. But that shows our modern sensibilities have changed to have it go that way. I don't know that they gender, uh, they, they color flipped it because George Miller, um, 
you know, he's either delusional, in which case he could be whatever color, um, or um, George Miller, and that's one of the names they kept, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But in either case, the fantasy world is the television world. Right. What what do we have on TVs? We have billionaires and cops. Cops, 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 cops. How many cop shows have there been since since uh, 1980 when I was started watching TV? There's always a there, uh, there's um it's at least ten cop shows on at any yeah, given uh, time, it, right? I, I mean, there's been, been cop shows since since forever. I mean, you guys have seen Network, right? Yes. Nope. Mm-hmm. You've uh, we, you need to see Network, Marissa. Um, I know, anyways, you guys are always going to tell me I need to watch I know, I've, I've, I'm never going to watch anything. <laughs> I've, I've, I've said it several times. It's hard times. to find. Anyway, it's hard to find that movie today, right? No, I have it on DVD. You can get it it's on hard DVD. to sit down in front of a TV. But anyway, yeah. Any, anyway, since, since it takes place at a television network, they there's several scenes in, involving pitches. And at one point, they're talking about they're pitching all the same shows, and it's just like the same kind of characters. Except in just different dressing. One of them, of course, is a cop show. And I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh my God, even in the 70s, we still had these crappy cop shows. They're still thinking about crappy cop shows. So, yeah. Well, I think it, it, I it sort of came out of the, the movies map, in the 70s. You know, you've got Serpico is a big hit. And and they, they want, I mean, the Guardians, as, as Plato would call them, right? The silver blooded folks. Um, they're important for our society. So, and, and it's inherent drama and all that, right? It's just so funny that you know, if you if you want to really take Philip K. Dick at, at at Philip K. Dick, looking at his stuff, how many times does he ever have cops? Never, right? He ha- he has cops show up to arrest the main character, but yeah, he just has dudes just walking around drinking coffee and getting lost in bathrooms. That's right, and, <laughs> and getting profoundly upset at the newspaper, right? What's yeah. uh, it's the Eisenhower administration and the, and it's the cobalt bomb, right? Cobalt bombs are the ones where it's deliver it's not just we're tactically going to try and stop that army. We're going to it's a it's a we're going to drop this and it'll fuck up the world. That's what that bomb is, right? It's it's seeded little, with cobalt to make radioactivity radioactive fallout more rather than the It lasts for years, yeah. Yes. And so when you get that, you know, the, it's it's it written at the beginning of the Eisenhower administration. He's setting it in his period, and and this is probably something that happened to him. What's he do? He gets the paper, drinks his coffee, and reads the headline. Oh my God! Cobalt bombs! This is not good. I want to escape into the future. Oh, but wait, right? It does that great turn. Where it's set in the future, and then where's the time travel to? It's to the past, to his present. So good, and I, I don't, yeah, I don't really know what, where, what, what time travels. It seems to be happening uh, from the 22nd century to the, to the 21st, I guess, in in this in the TV show version. What, what's mm-hmm. the what's the point? They go from a uh, utopia with flying cars that I guess is a utopia because it has flying cars, or because it has a lesbian in it. Lesbians make it hey, utopia hey, no, or whatever. No, no, it's a it's a science fiction future with with uh, flying cars. Lots of advertising. That's not a utopia. And V and and full on VR and all that all that stuff. So that into a twenty first century. And I didn't think about this when I was watching it. Time now thinking about it. I mean that that was a clue that that was the reality because why would 
I, I mean, I mean, why would you know, the whole the whole 21st century where he's a billionaire who's lost his wife, the whole world revolves around that whole world revolves revolves on revolves around our main character. Whereas in the 22nd century, mm. yeah. it's clear that she's just one of many many cops, probably including lesbian super cops. So the the, the many the lesbian super cops in the future, yes. Yeah, yeah, so the 21st century. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the 21st century is very a very centrally egotistical sort of view where oh yeah, I'm a billionaire and I'm powerful and whatnot. That was a clue I didn't realize now that you now we're talking about I'm thinking about it that that was the that was the fake reality all along because because it's so egotistical whereas whereas the future is nice but it's just she's just a person there. She's not the cop of the 22nd century she's just a cop so it was it was kind of like a subtle clue as to which reality was which i'm not i'm not convinced that it's one or the other uh Uh, but 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 you know and i did uh, i did rewatch the ending after i fell asleep because i wanted to i wanted to see what i had missed i'm like what they didn't resolve it okay so they did resolve it the 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 reality the yeah the the 21st century is is the fake reality The, the the guilt the, the survivor guilt, yeah, the guilt reality. But you think there's still some doubt, Jesse? Well, okay, so how did it end in real life? How did the episode end? It ended with them looking over her, her corpse or, you know, coma corpse or whatever it is. Oh, her mind is completely wiped or something like that, right? But but you could see you see up you could see you see images from the 21st century reality. They're obviously reading her brain, so she's gone into that reality permanently she's had she's had this good embolism basically i guess by showing that is the final scene we're left we're supposed to be left with the idea that that is the reality the problem yeah the problem is um i don't i didn't quite care enough (laughs) to like to make that particular conclusion um and I'm, i'm thinking like why is that why because what i was thinking about is Wait, wait, wait. What about all this murder, you know, the murdered uh, 15 cops? What about, okay, so that's resolved because that's all her delusion, right? Uh, well, what about... No, no, no. Oh, the, no. The murdered 15 it's cops aren't, aren't delusion. Right. That, that actually the happened. Murdered, I mean, that slaughtered 15 cops aren't a delusion. Um, but the partner, uh, you know, his story, whatever's going on, none of that matters, right? Just like, like the... The unresolved stuff with with the husband trying to get Batman like revenge on on uh, some mo- British guy. He's, his wife's killer. Yeah. Why did the killer. guy? Why did that guy kill that lady? No idea. It doesn't matter, right? Because it, because, that's all, because it's yeah. because it's a dream, and 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 and, and our main character is feeling guilt that guilt over her life and 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 in the personage of her. Her wife. So in in the dream sequence, her, her wife gets killed, and, and she's he's having cheating a, on whatever, and, and she cheating cheating on her, and he's and he's he's racked and thinks this is all the worst thing in the universe, and it's all centered around him. So of course he's important and a billionaire, and have, of course has the VR technology. It's 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 a personal hell basically. That 21st century. Yeah, he's a billionaire, but. His wife is dead. He's racked with guilt, and it's 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 a form of, it's a form of torture. It's torture. It's kind of sad, really. Right? It's the only ending that really made sense because I was listening, I was watching this and thinking, okay, 
one re- either one reality is real, the other one is, or they're both not real. And okay, but, here's my take yeah, on it. Go, Evan. My take on it is okay. There's that line where she says, "Like this can't be real because my life's too good." Right. Right. That's we've already talked about that. This. Yeah. You know, I got this hot wife, and you know, I'm the cop. I got all. And the future is actually quite nice, right? You have all this labor-saving technology and the flying car and all, and all that great stuff. And the assumption is the bad world must be real, right? But if you actually look at a lot of sci-fi, especially, I think, in recent decades, the sci-fi people consume is dystopian. And so our vacations are dystopias. We, we're, we're kind of gluttons yeah. for punishment in this way. We, we consume all these negative images of the future. Ecological dystopias, feminist dystopias, Handmaid's Tale, all this kind of stuff, right? Or the wind-up mm-hmm. girl. We read these books that just reinforce this idea that the future is going to be horrible. And there's not much we can do about it. Right? That, I, there's that old quote that bounces around, you know, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. So utopia is kind of a dying genre in a lot of ways, and we're just flooded with these dystopias. And that's why if I had to pick, the the real world is the, the one where she's the got the hot wife and she's the <laughs> cop. Yeah. Because yeah. that seems more true to our lives. We actually perhaps have the technological capacity to deal with the ecological crises, to have at least take steps towards this utopia, but we're all convinced the future is going to be horrible. That yeah. kind of um, fits with uh, something I heard recently, which I'm not sure if it's totally true, but that basically when things are good and we're pretty comfortable and feeling safe, we write dystopias, and then when things are kind of hor- horrific and horrible and during wars, we'll write the utopias. Mm. And it know. also... It, you can, I yeah, I don't know, know if it's true or not. I was like, hmm, that's interesting, but I don't know if it actually like checks out. That'd be cool to go through and. I, I just want utopias back. I'm. You do. I don't need more. Like one problem, like with shows like The Walking Dead or comics, and, and that whole narrative, a lot of like the post-apocalyptic dystopia, they just present humanity as so bad, and there's no capacity for cooperation outside of small in, one small in group. One reason I like Dick's novel, Dr. Blood Money, so much is it shows a post-apocalyptic world in which people are able to cooperate and they're rational and, you know, they are, there is possibilities for broader solidarity in that novel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really one of the most optimistic post-apocalyptic novels I've come across. Right. So you're okay with, like, the, the world can be dystopian as long as the characters are, Well, I just have more faith in humanity. The, yeah. yeah. I just have yeah, faith in humanity to overcome things. Yeah. It's, why do we always have to be at each other's throats. When there's actual crises in our world, an earthquake, you know, or volcanoes or whatever, we tend to see examples of solidarity and heroism, maybe not as much as we would like, but it seems we have that capacity. Uh, it's I'm, probably in our I, DNA. It's probably in our genetics. I've been listening to uh, a series of lectures by the podcaster Gary Key Wolf that he did for Audible because he teaches science fiction at a college so he had him do some lectures so it's like how great science fiction works and I just recently got up to the episode where he talks about dystopias and post-apocalyptic worlds and how how, how a lot of them follow the same format you have, you have a catastrophe either in the present or has happened and you have a group of survivors but there's always going to be another group of anti-survivors or an anti-figure that you have to struggle against. It seems like it's baked into the template of dystopias and post-apocalyptic worlds that you're going to have some sort of force that's going to 
try to break your group one way or the other and expose those cracks in humanity, expose the, the weakness of people, you know, people not working together. It seems like that's baked into the template. Yeah, that's but, just too bad because I'm not a Hobbesian. I, maybe it's because I have this anarchist tendency in me. I can't be a Hobbesian yeah. really for so much of my worldview not to fall apart. Be, being a Hobbesian is is to be to be perfectly frank, very depressing. It's like, oh god, yeah, we all suck, and humans gonna just gonna stab each other in the back. We're all set for we're all set for extinction or nasty civilizational collapse. Short is what you're yes, saying. Yes, nasty versus. Thank you, thank you, Jesse. Yeah, it is. It is a very depressing sort of outlook on life, and it can be wearying to read. Oh, oh, here we go again. Here again, people are going to be hard with each other, and when things when things fall apart, we'll never put things back together again. What, what that's that's what that's the implication I, I, of lots of things. My problem, I get like I was very interested in in the technic. Like I like genre, so I like watching stupid cop shows occasionally, right? And and uh, obviously science fiction. So I, I like appreciating the the tropes that are going on. What's funny is neither of those uh, <laughs> neither of those realities. This is why I I guess it's just. Although it's it's the best episode, it's also it's it's pretty weak as a, as a show. And the reason it's weak is because they're both not dis- utopias or dystopias. They're television tropes. So one, you've got a billionaire who can do whatever. He's got some business and he's got all these lackeys and he can go around and get into a gunfight and nothing happens to him. So he, uh, yeah. they, they even say, what, what do you think you are? Bruce Wayne? Yes. They even lampshade sure. that, which is hilarious. Well, the the thing is, is it's, it's not even a lampshade because it, what, uh, yeah, I guess it is. It is a lampshade. They have to do that because they're dealing with the, tr- for whatever reason, Ronald D. Moore thought it's a good idea to deal with all these television tropes. I, I don't know why, but he thought it was a good idea. So he did it. And then uh, in the other world, the we've got the flying cars with the with the nostalgic 1950s restaurant, um, and we've got we've got the the lesbian lady with her wonderful uh, wife who lives in an apartment that no real cop could afford, right? <laughs> right. And so it's television cops uh, that they're dealing with. So neither one is a reality from which one could escape. Right in my in my view, I don't ultimately care what happens because I can't see myself falling into either of those. Right, they're both fantasy fantasy world in a way that that is so distant from my own life that I couldn't really care about which yeah. which happens. Whereas in the Philip K. Dick story, um, there's a fear of the future being a, sort of a, a, a dystopic. Um, space where there's no ability to a, quit your job and uh, w- wear what you like and have your own uh, sort of self-determination, which is a, a, a genuine fear that science fiction had about futures, right? And there's a sort of an almost quaint, nostalgic look at a then-present 1950s where many people had that exact life goal as being uh, very possible where you have a, a car in the garage and your your uncle over for uh, Friday breakfast and 
you've got two kids and one of them wants to go up to the Russian River. I like that this is a real river in California, but uh, it also portray you know sort of foreshadows the ending and makes it just a little like that subtlety, right? That's what makes exhibit piece so good. And there's one. There's well, Marissa, you want to go first? Because I want to jump onto this. Mm-hmm. No, bit. go ahead. Go ahead. This is, as a historian, I guess, I, there's a parts of this that I just have to get at. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so fascinating for me. Is Well, so here, this is like in page two of the story. It says, a 20th century term, you're nothing but a minor bureaucrat in a vast machine. Mm-hmm. You're a function of an impersonal cultural totality. You have no standards of your own. In the 20th century, men had personal standards of workmanship, artistic pride, pride of accomplishment. These words mean nothing to you. You have no soul. Another concept from the golden age of the 20th century, right. when men were free and could speak their minds. Okay, that's the quote where he makes his case why the 1950s was better, right? Mm-hmm. 1950s is already post-Fordism. It's post-scientific management. So this idea of crafting is already dead. And this is something Dick wrestled with a lot. And even his early stories like Variable Man in this one, he's dealing with this question of crafting and how do we get value in work, in our working lives? And he's got this struggle with automation and all that. But more than that, people in the 1950s and, you know, writing before the story was even published. I don't know if Dick read this stuff, but it must have been in the culture and in the dialogue. were anxious of this exact future coming true based on things they saw in the 1950s. There was like William White's book, The Organizational Man. I think that's a little bit later, but it has that idea that in our workplaces, we all become conformists and we all dress the same and think the same and become groupthink. The Lonely Crowd was 1950. That was David Riesman that has that same idea that we're all kind of homogenized in mass culture. Um, the Authoritarian Personality, Adorno and others, that was written in the 1950s too. And that says this middle class in America has a tendency towards authoritarianism and conformism too. So this idea that we, you know, the 1950s weren't this, is being completely misinterpreted here by Miller. If we assume Dick was in touch with these debates, which I think he was, because mm-hmm. he wrote the Mold of Yancey, mm-hmm. which is exactly about conformity in the 1950s. Yeah, it's funny because the the 1950s is only a utopia for this guy from the future, right? Um, yeah. What's what's so interesting about this, the way the story works is that the reality is the dystopia in the future, I think, mm-hmm. um, and and that he the demolition that's coming, right? That his destruction is coming is only. I mean, it, it, I I would say it's balanced, you know, sixty forty in in favor of, or maybe a little higher than that, seventy thirty, in favor of the future being the reality, because what's uh, his his knowledge of the past is the where he goes to right and it comes to him oh yes this is my son and he, this is my wife and and he sort of just gets sucked into it but uh, the the future dystopia um, where where uh, you know he's reconstructing the past um, he's looking at the <laughs> he's looking at the 1950s in which Philip K Dick lives. And is writing about and seeing. Well, there are good things about our society. You know, I'm not. Uh, he's not a. He's not a Soviet sympathizer, right? He's actually. Uh, if if you were to classify Philip K. Dick, he's not a communist, right? 
<laughs> Despite <laughs> being interested in some ideas that communists might have, he's absolutely not a communist. He He's still sold on the American ideal. And so when he looks at the 1950s and saying, what's good about it? Well, in comparison to some possibilities, including total world destruction, right, where the entire world is destroyed and, and they, they just in 200 years they'll have lost track of of the details of whether people in the mid-20th century weaved their own clothing. That is a big deal, right? <laughs> it's like, I, well, why not I, then I, go to the early modern? Because that's his utopia. That's his golden age to go back to, is the early modern. Well, that, there, there's, uh, it's funny because some, sometimes there's another story that I hope we cover uh, where, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but they go to a planet. John's world? Uh, we did do a show on john's world but no it's it's like john's world in that they go to this planet and every they've been cut off from the rest of the universe and souvenir souvenir that's it right souvenir has these people walking around in robes and there's no uh you know horrible urban planning everybody walks everywhere and it's it's just a a wonderful world except for a few little things but in the world that we've got in the future here um the board well, it it's a Soviet, right? Uh, a Soviet is a uh, uh, a committee, right? The board is some group of people whose job it is to supervise a a unit of some kind. And we've got Edwin Carnap, the president of the board, he who is the highest ranking official in the New York New York <laughs> New York branch of the World Directorate. So this is a this is a a world where you can't just like go to another country, right? There are no other countries, uh, uh, assuming, you know, they, it isn't just an overestimation, uh, like like uh, sometimes we get those, you know, well, World Cup, and, you know, half the countries <laughs> in the world don't participate, right? Or, yeah, what's the, uh, the World Series, only Canada and the United States. <laughs> sometimes that happens. But assuming that it's true, that it is a literal world directorate, there's no place for him on Earth to escape to. The only place he can possibly escape is into his work, which is fascinating and about a world that has all these wonders in it, including uh, tobacco. <laughs> wow, tobacco, that's great. Like, yeah. But it, I, it also makes me think that the destruction, the total world destruction that that happens uh, as a threat at the end is also a possible reason why the world is the way it is 200 years later. Right. So this is so why this story is so good is it so every thread all points in an Aurora Boros style um, uh, circle that doesn't uh, have anything loose or falling out. I like I think even that the the repeated hay fever and um, all the stuff that's in there, like, why is that in there? I think it all sort of works and helps cement the um the circularity well if you get hay fever you, it means you you're you're outside and there's nature so that's part of the utopia in a way yeah, he was also utopias. there's nature there's actual yeah he's know. allergic to his uh, his son says he was allergic to something in his his sleeping bag right he says mm -hmm. he got the k-pop i had to give oh uh, uh, he says you said yeah what's k-pop by the way it's it's it, it's it's a kind of stuffing you put into sleeping bags. Okay, you, oh, oh, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. must be. Oh. <laughs> From the fifties, no doubt. Yes. 
Um, you no, said I, I could borrow a sleeping bag for the gym because the one I had you gave to the Salvation Army because you were allergic to the K-Pak in it. That's a nice wow. kid sentence. I feel like when I was reading, I mean, I always get this from Philip K. Dick books anyway, but that George Miller just felt so much like Philip K. Dick. Oh, yeah. To me, like, all these little things and just appreciating. I guess he was, like, sitting there kind of afraid of these, the way the future could go and holding on to his art. And, you know, he's the weird eccentric guy, I guess, that kind of gets frowned at and <laughs> isn't quite conforming. And so intensely interested in the 1950s, we've seen again and again in Philip K. Dick's writing how much this period or XPs of this period are used and reused and filtered through, going back from time out of joint to lots of his short stories. The 1950s is where it's at for him. I mean, this yeah. is... Well, he, I mean, he's for, literally well, there, though. This story is written in the 50s. He's experiencing the 50s and seeing it like an alien, right? Like, like that's so cool. What's so cool about the details that are in this is that it it is like time travel for me. Like, I, I, I have ideas about what the 1950s are like. I've never been there. But the, the things that come up, I want to read this section on page 68. Um, it's so interesting because it is, it, it, it parallels the future that shows up, but it also... It gives us such a, a picture of the 1950s, which is why, you know, reading Philip K. Dick is like reading his mind. He says, uh, yeah, Miller muttered uncertainly, Don, that was the boy's name, and his brother, Ted. But how did he know that? At the table, the woman had got up and was collecting dirty dishes to carry over to the sink. They said you already promised them, she said over her shoulder. The dishes clattered into the sink and she began sprinkling soap flakes over them. Like, oh yeah, they didn't have dish soap, right? But mm-hmm. but you remember that time they wanted to drive the car and they and the way they said it, you'd think they had you're okay. And they hadn't, of course. Miller sank weakly down at the table, aimlessly. This is a scene that is endlessly repeated in Philip K. Dick. He's just right Oh my God, the kitchen table sinks, slumps down at the kitchen table. He fooled with his pipe. He set it down in the copper ashtray and examined the cuff of his coat. What was happening? Why is he examining the cuff of his coat? Right? It's so vividly embodied, this this prose. His yeah, head yeah, it's almost it. hypnotic. Like, keep keep reading. Yeah, I want to keep reading near the bottom of this page here. Um, he set it down in the copper ashtray and examined the cuff of his coat. What was happening? His head spun. He got up abruptly and hurried to the window over to the sink houses, streets, the distant hills beyond the town, the sights and sounds of people, the three-dimensional projected backdrop was utterly convincing. Or was it the projected backdrop? How could he be sure? What was happening? George, what's the matter? Marjorie asked as she tied a pink plastic apron around her waist and began running hot water in the sink. You'd better get the car out and get started to work. Weren't you saying last night old man Davidson was going was shouting about employees being late for work and standing around the water cooler talking and having a good time on company time. Davidson's the words stuck around stuck in Miller's head. He knew it, of course. A clear picture leaped up, a tall white-haired old man, thin and stern, vest vest and pocket watch and whole office, United Electronic Supply, the 12-story building in downtown San Francisco. The newspaper and cigar stand in the lobby, honking cars, jam parking lots, the elevator packed with bright-eyed secretaries, tight sweaters, and perfume. 
<laughs> okay, so uh, there's a couple of things that I think are really terrific in here. One is it points that this is uh, a story taking place on two sides of the same country, right? One is in New York, and the other is in San Francisco, I think. I think the first, the future is in New York. Um, I might be wrong about that, but um, it's certainly uh, possible. And then the other thing that's really interesting here is that we've got the authority figure of Davidson being paralleled in the in the future world, and uh, with by what's his name Smythe? No, uh, whatever his name is, Fleming. It's Fleming. Fleming. And and we were just told how great it was uh, that in the 1950s you could quit your job, right? Now he's got a shitty job and he's got a wife and a car and two kids. He can't quit his job, right? Yeah. He, he's stuck in it. He's stuck in it. Uh, I think it's it's a new prison. It is, but it's it's kind of a, a delightful prison in a certain sense, right? It 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 it, it it's, it's a prison that more suits his personality needs and wants than than the future he lives in. So he's. The grass is greener on the other side, even if they're, they're, he's still trapped in a just a different kind of kind of cage. So of course, of course, it's appealed to him. And and yes, I just checked. Yeah, the the uh, the future version is actually in and possibly York York York, which is what we get with uh, Futurama. Which uh, Futurama is very literate about its its. Uh, science fictional roots in in film and and in stories so it's new new york in futurama right the year 3000 um the destruction of new york happened more than once so it's new new york um and then we've got the this nyak so that transformed language is telling us we're just a little bit into the future i think it's it's terrific stuff and when I first read this story, I was like, why is this so long? It's it's almost 40 minutes in the audiobook. And I've seen him do uh, short stories like in half an hour or, or 25 minutes that can do as much uh, material, sort of material out in that period of time. But I think mm-hmm. it's this, the, this is almost like sometimes he's a bit long, but this is actually, it is full. It's just very subtle about what it's doing. It, it, there's nothing flashy. And yeah, it doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel long once you once you start looking at those those tiny little details, like why why are these kids here? What what purpose do they serve? Well, they do all those jobs. That notice that in the right the very progressive uh, 2018 version of this story, no kids exist, therefore no problems, and we get a lesbian sex scene absolutely gratuitously i'm not saying that i'm against lesbian sex scenes but what function does it serve to literally show them having sex mm-hmm. it, it does the exact function it, which 2018 demands which is eye candy right yeah the, yeah there is eye candy involved in in, in the tv show i met but i i do like how the tv show took that idea i mean of we're so I progressive mean, I, we got to show the eye no, candy no, and the and no, the gun no, fight no no a different one so, sorry i, I was getting my bad. i was like G- george miller in this story steps into this world and he starts remembering things about the world that he didn't make up he didn't make up everything old man davidson and everything else when he was designing this exhibit that all 
comes to mind. He starts remembering, recollecting that stuff and immersing himself into that world, just like in the TV show when our our character is in is in the present day dystopia, he starts and he he keeps having jogging his memory, trying to remember things and trying to remember, trying to recall the world. And that it's it's more focused to trying to remember the details of a dream. That same sort of rebuilding the reality around you or building the reality that you're immersed in is an idea that they took from the story and stuck into the TV show and make basically making it whole. It starts from confusion and and unsurety as to what's happening is to more and more confidence into the, into the reality delusional or not. I mean, this is the story makes it, we don't know if he's inventing this as going along or he's remembering this other reality. It's like, as it's we like go a along, dream. Uh, you can fabulating it, right? So yeah, you're presented with something and you say, okay, that doesn't make, Oh, I see how it works. Right. So you start thinking that, well, that that's illogic. Oh no, no, it makes, it fits with, because that's what our brains do, right? As we, try and make sense of the world while when presented with unreal uh, you know uh, r- amazingly strange things we start uh, having explanations for it and and so it, it's it's so cool that i mean the the lit- the visual tropes that show up uh, in the show like that scene you know the scenes you've seen in a million movies and tv shows where somebody wakes up uh with you know their eyes opening and there's fire burning all around them well like wow, how did we get here that's how half of tv shows start their first episode right they you're thrown into the deep end and then the character starts giving us dialogue and explanations right uh what's the there's one cop trope um where somebody shows up some detective shows up at a scene right the the crime scene and they say what do we got this line what do we got? Why do we got? It's ridiculous <laughs> because it's designed to elicit the response from some, uh, you know, uniformed police officer or some detective or some partner to uh, what? info dump, info dump mm-hmm. us uh, yeah. in a in a as, uh, yeah into what's going on. as you know, Bob. Yes, exactly. Have, had three murders in the last. Two months here in Central City. We got another one. What? Another floater? A- <laughs> <laughs> it's like whatever it is. It's so stupid. Um, uh, when when but- we get this amazing first person's perspective where he never loses consciousness throughout the entire 40 minutes of the story. That's good stuff. That's mm-hmm. good writing. Yeah. I, I feel like that's why I like the short story because oh, yeah. I also, there's moments where you actually think he might be time traveling, mm-hmm. like especially because it's a Philip K. Dick story. Like that doesn't really show up in the TV show. Like I never want. It was always like which is the virtual reality and which is the real reality. Yeah, notice that both mm-hmm. worlds have 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 technology that doesn't exist, right? Right. This, yeah. this VR one. Oh, it's clunky because it's it's a full helmet, whereas the other one's just a little patch, right? Like from Black Mirror or whatever. It's yeah. It's so. Yeah, that- Mm, yeah. Okay. But in Philip K. Dick's vision, it's like there you're kind of almost wondering, like, is he right? Is he traveling through some kind of like time warp? Because um, he even goes to like a psychiatrist in that world, and they're like discussing like how to tell whether the time warp is real, like which reality you can step through to, and that, yeah, I don't that know, was, I feel that like was such a PKD scene. What's yeah, so cool like, though? Yeah, the psychiatrist. What's so cool that is that you could take the PKD story and start it the other way so he doesn't start in the museum in the future 
you could start in the 1950s and he the reason he's oh, escaping yeah. to the future is right it's so it's so well constructed that you could flip it completely around and it would have the same effect um yeah it totally it in that kind of similar way, I guess, it reminded me a lot of um, Time Out of Joint. Mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of felt like it was like that. If, like, Regal Gum is kind of in that 1950s world, and but then there's actually this whole future built around him mm-hmm. outside the, outside the, the town. town. Yeah. So, so, so Folky Dick has done that. Yeah, it's, it's called Time Out of Joint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's really similar. It also makes me think, because he writes about this stuff all the time, mm-hmm. and... um. It kind of. I was wondering if he even had a touch of that, um, you know, that delusional cat gas. I think it's called syndrome, where you feel like the world is fake, uh, or what's, what's the this, people around you. What's this word? Because I, 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 I think it's called cap capgrass or capgrass. And it's it's the one. Oh, yeah, there that it is. People used, yeah, people used to have this delusion where they think their family or their things around them have been replaced with artificial. Right versions mm. of themselves but then when the truman show came out um people started getting what they now call like the truman syndrome or the truman delusion where they think they're yeah. in a reality show version of this fate yeah here's, here's so I was wondering, uh, like, let me read maybe... this here um miss mrs d a 74 year old married housewife recently discharged from a local hospital after her first psychiatric admission presented to our facility a second opinion at the time of her admission earlier in the year she had received the diagnosis of atypical psychosis because of her belief that her husband had been replaced by an unrela- another unrelated man. She refused to sleep with the imposter, locked her bedroom door at night, asked her son <laughs> for a gun, and finally fought with the police when attempts were made to hospitalize her. At times, she believed her husband was her long-deceased father. She eagle- easily recognized other family members and would misidentify her husband only. That is totally a Philip wow. K. Dick thing, right? The with the father yeah. thing, and so many right. humans, right? He must, I, he must on, have... I feel it all the time, and the same, even just simulacra. When you think about it, like the idea that the person it looks like a human, but it's actually an android under there. I feel like it could all come from some kind of experience like that. Yeah, and you know, there's a nice tiny little piece in the in the show where I was like, oh, that's interesting. They presented a theory as to why a deja vu happens, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's un- oh, yeah. it's going from one side and there's a, uh, it's misinterpreted as a memory. And I'm like, that actually makes sense, right? Because I've had deja vu and I'm like, I've been here before. I've done this before. Um, that fits it's, in a certain sense, the, the, the feeling that we get. And these sort of, like... It's almost like brain brain farts, right? You know, like you just like something going wrong when you know you're you start noticing the operating system doing something like, well, wait a second, why is that? But you don't notice that the operating system is is screwing up. Uh, totally, totally is different. Deja vu as yeah, general production fault in your operate brain's OS. And 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 it's our view onto the world, right? We don't really see the world with our eyes. We see it with our brain, and mm-hmm. and perceive it with our with our brain and and the uh, feelings, like the fact that feelings are are completely non-existent in the universe, right? Except inside this gray stuff, and and in, influence interpretation, right? He was sinister, right? <laughs> it's just a face. Right, it has certain shapes, and yep. uh, but we interpret it as sinister, 
or threatening yeah. and and that's so cool that is so cool it reminds me of a novel that hasn't come out yet called gate crashers by patrick tomlinson and there's a race of aliens there that don't really have feelings except when they chemically stimulate themselves to have them so they go they walk through life with a very flatness of effect and they have to remember to actually dose themselves to actually actually change their perception so they actually can feel things that sounds uh, like, sounds like the yeah, authors uh got a bit of pkd going on too because that's <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think Patrick did steal it from uh, Philip K. Dick. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't no, be no, I, w- I would just assume that he, Patrick is is having some of this. Whoever Patrick is. Oh, Similar oh, 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 no, oh, oh no, no, Patrick is a very, very uh, passionate person. He's a, he has have a flat effect if you ever met him. Okay. Yeah, he's quite. Yeah, he's quite uh, quite the character. Interesting. So I felt like maybe that um, that psychiatrist scene in the short story, like I was totally imagining that, like this is probably Philip K. Dick's conversation with the psychiatrist at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but what if maybe you're part of the exhibit or part of this fake world that we're living in? Yep. And that's and, that. And that scene sorry. is right in uh, Do Andrews Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, not Do Andrews. It's everywhere. In, um, yeah. It's in. Well, there's a lot of game players too, like that, uh, where he's yeah. totally hung over. And he ends up talking to a shrink at a bar. <laughs> we can remember and, it before you wholesales. What I was thinking of is oh. is uh, and especially in the movie the Total Recall, where you know you're just a figment of my. If if I shoot myself in the head, you know this will this will do this effect on you, right? Um, but if I shoot you in the head, then it won't affect me. <laughs> well, if you shoot mm-hmm. me, that'll give you a full schizoid embolism, right? So they, the the threat of us being just a simulation in somebody else's dream, that's uh, it's not much of a threat until you know the world goes gray and your body disappears, right? Um, but because it's told wholly first person, right? Uh, it's not like um, it's some it's somehow that adaptation, that real life. It it either was too long for the material. Or too short for the like the the space of a television show. Yeah, it might have been a better movie because I just felt like there was something missing in the in the connection yeah. between the two uh, one character. Right? We've got Anna Paquin and and Terrence Howard, and I I think they're they're good at both. But where's their connection? The it's it, us, it, and it that's be, not it great a connection. Out, yeah. It's almost like we need to have one voice all the way through it um, to give us that sense of where where are we going. Maybe it'd make a good VR game, <laughs> Marissa. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would play that. A VR game about yeah. a VR game, right? Very uh, yeah. Okay, is this where I start mentioning existence again? Yeah, 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 I think it has a VR game within a VR game and possibly another on top of that, depending on how you interpret the ending. Yeah, I was, I, I that's when I got really excited while watching real, real life is like, she's gonna go into a VR while he's in the VR, good, good, and then it no, just goes back to the other world. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. how much time takes place in the in the space of uh, the show is it's 
one of the things that bugged me was when the lady's getting put down by her wife, you know, with, after they have sex or whatever. They put the put the little bead on her head, and then says, mm-hmm. "How long will you be gone? Two hours." And I'm like, "Oh, that's movie length." <laughs> Whereas if it was, uh, you know, just 15 minutes or 18 minutes, and then 18 minutes later, that playing with the media would at least have done something a little bit extra so that it gives us a uh, a doubt about you know how lampshady is it's always doing things look at how hip we are we know about science fiction we mentioned science fiction in a science fiction story wow remember that old science fiction stuff they used to care about before flying cars <laughs> that they used to, yeah, I did I didn't like that you used to care about because I think as a curious species we're always going to wonder about the future. I think there's going to be science exactly. fiction as long as humanity. No, we that, only that, care that about cops and quick. billionaires, Paul. You don't understand. <laughs> cops and billionaires, only thing of value. Yeah, but we could have cops and billionaires on other planets. Wouldn't that be science fiction? We could have a billionaire cop on another. I don't want to read those books. I don't want to read those books. Billionaire cop. Oh, mind you, <laughs> I guess. Billionaire cop on Mars. I guess uh, Demolition, uh, what's um, Alfred Bester's. Uh, the Demolished the Man demolished has both man. billionaires okay. and cops, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I take it, it back, Paul. I take it back. <laughs> so I can't, I can't find it when I'm looking at the short story now, but didn't George Miller have some kind of technology in this where he's scraping history as well? Like, Aren't I they actually looking into remember, history? Uh, usually it's a time scoop, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's what I, I thought it was something like that. I, I don't think it's in this story. He just says talks We've about t- his tapes that he needs to get back, right? Uh, maybe it was a. Are they scanning? I had a feeling that he was like they were peering into history somehow. I'll begin to work today's work. I've uncovered fascinating evidence to indicate that although 20th century Americans laid their own floor tiles, they did not weave their own clothing. So that goes right back <laughs> to the fun part about what, him talking about his bathroom. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that was yeah, so funny, right? <laughs> That's his wife oh. building that bathroom, right, in their their California house. Right. That also reminded me of um. It's yellow time tile. Joint, Beautiful yellow isn't tile. Isn't that how? <clears throat> sorry, isn't that how Rayo Gum? Uh, isn't it like a, he goes into the bathroom and the light switch is in a different place? Mm, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's that it's brother, brother, it's one of his, Yeah. Yeah, it's a brother. Yeah, it's the brother that. Oh, life switch. But it's it's still that sort that that same sort of thing. It's like oh, it comes back to 1950s California. Homes. Yeah, seeing little weird things in bathrooms and. <laughs> That's why bathrooms are even the one mentioned of the the other guy's specialty was the Hellenistic Empire, which is interesting because that was actually a much more diverse. <laughs> and, and they have bad plumbing. Remember the plumbing is so the, bad back then. Yeah, he plumbing, he's obsessed but. by plumbing. I swear that comes up all the time. What? Yeah, you you're saying of it? Oh no, I just I just found it interesting that he seems to value the 1950s because of its individualism, right? Mm-hmm. And mm. in a way, the Hellenistic Empire, the Hellenistic period, the philosophical trends of that period had much more individual strains than what you had coming out of like Athens. And that's where you get like the the uh, the skeptics and the Stoics the cynics, and the cynics and those cynics. people come out of the Hellenistic period. And it's a very intercultural space because you have the Persians and the Greeks and the Egyptians and they're and, fixing, and, spending into Central Asia. And you know that would be an interesting 
period to look into more. I, I don't know enough about it, actually, but it seems to be very culturally diverse. And that seems to be a value, something Miller seems to value, that individualism. And yeah, I wouldn't go to the 1950s to find it. That's that's what I kept thinking. Yeah, about. I'd, 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 go, I'd go into uh, yeah the Hellenistic and Roman Empire. I mean, they. I just had read something the other day that they found uh, remains of uh, African-descended uh, people in the ro- ruins of Roman London. So just showing that yeah. the, 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 the Roman cities and the whole Mediterranean world was just a melting pot of everything and everyone. You could... You could find Africans walking around London. You could find Celts and British running running around Egypt. That's that's just, of just a lot of that has to do with the, as the Romans expanded, they of course enslaved everyone and sent or, them back in or, the center. Well, and, and and shipped them all around to each other. So yeah. you could have you could, I mean, yeah, you 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 could find all sorts of people in all parts of the Mediterranean world at the Roman Empire site, and that still just blows me away that you could that that they had that melting pot. Yeah. I'm going to read this uh, from the first page. It's, it's just okay. lovely. He paid the robot, grabbed up his briefcase, and hurried along the ramp to the history agency. The main building was already open for the day. Robed men and women wandered everywhere. Miller entered a private lift, squeezed between two immense controllers from the pre-Christian division, and in a moment was on his way to his own level in the middle 20th century. Morning, he murmured as controller Fleming <laughs> met him at the atomic engine exhibit. There's another atomic thing, right? Gorning, Fleming responded brusquely. Look here, Miller, let's have this out once and for all. What if everybody dressed like you? The government sets up strict rules for dress. Can't you forget your damn anachronisms once in a while? What in God's name is that thing in your hand? It looks like a squashed Jurassic lizard. Jurassic lizard. <laughs> <laughs> It's so what good. is the point of the, what is the point of this whole building in the first place? I didn't quite get the the sense from this from this story. Okay, so we have these different levels and different investigations, but what is it all for? I, I'm I have a theory. Uh, okay, so they live in a, a post apocalyptic hellscape that has gone into recovery, right? So they live in a Spartan sort of uh, barracks and and the, the, they want to keep things from getting out of control, right? World government instead of, um, you know, all these individual co- competing nations. If you set uh-huh. yourself aside, one of the th- threats of communism, right, is that is it's conformity. Everybody dresses the same. Everybody has the same thoughts. There's only official positions. There's political correct thoughts only, right? Whatever the committee decides, that's what is is the history. Um, and yet, it's not, right? So you've got the officiousness of the... You get this in government all the time, right? Where you've got the government oversight committee, right? And then there's the the actual committee, right? So you've got, uh, well, we need spies, so we have to have supervision of the spies so they don't take over the state. So we're in, I think, that sort of situation where you've got... History is really important. You need to understand it because... Um, it leads to dangerous things if you don't understand what's going on, like World War Six, right? Um, and here we've got we've got evidence that there was some disaster because they don't even know what what's going on in the middle 20th century, only 200 years earlier. This is, um, I think, we've got that situation. You know, even in communist Russia, they have museums and uh, you know language learning for for cultures that are not them. 
but you can't go into work dressed like an American and expect the committee that runs that building to think that that's cool, right? Yes, you're supposed to study Americans, but you're not supposed to become an American, right? You don't walk in wearing jeans and have your hair cut like Elvis. That's not cool. Mm. No blue pinstripes. And more importantly, it's just just like, think of uh, what he says to describe his clothing. This is an alligator hide briefcase, Miller explained. I carry my study spools in it. Well, that's justified. He should carry it in a satchel, but not a briefcase, right? But the briefcase was an authority symbol of the managerial class of the latter 20th century. He ends up to try to understand Fleming by accustoming myself, myself to objects of my research period. I transform my relation from an intellectual curiosity to genuine empathy. You have frequently noticed I pronounce certain words oddly. <laughs> I know people like this, right? <laughs> that accent is of an American businessman of the Eisenhower administration. Dig me? <laughs> Dig me, yes. Yeah, like, I'm not sure. Yeah, Dig me I, I is a 20th sure. century expression. <laughs> it doesn't say what it means. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure that... that uh... That uh, ad executives of the 20th century were saying, "Dig me." I think. I think. Well, he's, that's he, the think funny part, right? Is he sort of got it off? <laughs> he's, yeah. He's sort of misunderstood, <laughs> but he totally gets it right when he says that this is a power authority symbol, right? It's and that's that's what a briefcase is, right? It's look, I'm important. I've got important papers. They're briefs. Yeah. People trust me. They're bri- People trust me. I'm important. Yeah. The tie, right? The tie is a, a part of the the accoutrements of wearing. That's that's why profs, right, Evan? Why profs uh, yeah. go crazy is they is they have tenure. The the the, the few that exist <laughs> anymore is they're allowed to dress any goddamn way they want. They wear sandals and a, and always sweaters for some reason. Sandals and sweaters, <laughs> no ties, no business. Sandals suit. and sweaters. Yeah. To- the Jesse Wills story. <laughs> no, I don't wear sandals, but uh, no, I've seen a lot of props. Head, and they, they all, well, a lot of the philosophy ones, they have beards, they have sandals, they have sweaters, and yeah. <laughs> and if they I mean, don't have to always get these periods wrong, though. Yeah. That, that's, the, the, it's not just the dig me, right? Yeah. So, like, historians writing about the Soviet Union in the 1950s, writing about Stalinism in the 50s and 60s, they got all that wrong. Yeah. We know that because when scholars went in to actually look at the archives in the in the 90s, you know, they we totally misunderstood the Soviet Union. Totally. So, But that's pretty much probably true of every historical epoch, Yeah. right? That's what like I've you been... see a bit of culture and you read into it that this is the way things were and actually it was like a joke or something or a dirty yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah, and you're bringing your own cultural biases and... And uh, perceptions into it. I mean, we're, we we always see the past in other pa- past cultures and even cultures alien to our own through a, through a, through a glass darkly. And sometimes <laughs> we get think. Yes, I know. Sometimes maybe we get that's it right, why. So maybe that's why this story feels like he did time travel <laughs> when he goes through because when he's actually in the exhibit, I don't think there's any like weird mistakes like that, right? Like once he's actually gone into that world well we don't notice them <laughs> but we're yeah, not we living in the 50s anything. when it came out right it's hard yeah, to say but Salt Lake Dick hasn't planted any like weird maybe he did and we we were not seeing them <laughs> that's true it's, uh, my, <laughs> no, it's my entire of vision of the 50s almost exclusively like what I think of as the real <laughs> 1950s comes not you know from my mom who was born then or 
or from uh, you know the what's uh, Back to the Future, right? Uh, but rather from my perception of what the real 50s comes from Philip K. Dick and, and seeing how he portrays, you know, what what conveniences were available, what what daily life right. was like and newsstands mm-hmm. and all that, all that the stuff. The nylon hose it, carefully placed at the, the foot of the bed. Right, the boudoir, a woman's boudoir. <laughs> yeah. Boudoir, yeah. It's good stuff. Um, it, I would say what's so cool is that he really he really has nailed the 50s and he's also skewering his 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 possible future saying look we have it actually pretty good right now right um i'm making a living as a, a science fiction writer it's astoundingly um but when i get on the bus and people ask me why i don't have a briefcase <laughs> i have to tell them I'm a science fiction writer, and they look at me with like the kind of look that his boss looks at him when he goes into the museum, the history <laughs> museum. Um, have you have you guys seen this show called The Americans? It's uh, on mm-hmm. FXX or whatever it's called. Um, w- that's why I really like this show is that it's set in the 80s, which is the time period when I'm very familiar with because I lived there. Um, but it also gives us a view of what the Soviets actually were worried about, not what we thought they were worried about, what they were actually worried about. And so in a recent episode, they talked about the dead hand. You know about this? This is the the idea that the United States, if they launch their nuclear missiles, they can take us out. But we have an automated triggered system that will launch our codes even if even if the command structure is gone. So they call it the dead hand. It's like a, it's a hand holding a grenade. Dead man switch. Yeah, yeah. dead man switch, mm-hmm. right? And this is a real phenomenon that ex- we now know about. That they were, had this plan to, to you know, solve the problem of what if they get us? Because they're always threatening to take us out, right? What if they actually get us? And so when you look at that period, the 80s, with the knowledge of the present about the 80s, we can see, like, wow, these guys were really fucking around in stupid ways on both sides. But specifically, you know, you can see American reality and the pro- propaganda that's going on. Uh, when they show the news, you know, uh, when the characters are watching the news, or they talk about how, in a recent episode, they talked about how uh, the mom, who's a Russian spy, right, is telling the daughter, who's now becoming a Russian spy, uh, when you were reading those history textbooks on World War II, I wanted to tear that book up and tell you the truth, right? And says, uh, you, you're, you've been told that the Americans defeated Nazis in, at Normandy. Um, Americans lost 400,000, we lost 27 million, and we defeated them, right? And it's like, wow, you can see how... <laughs> That sort of, maybe it's in the textbook, but it's not highlighted, right? All we study mm-hmm. is the Normandy and, you know, the Italian campaign and maybe a little in North Africa because the British are there. But no, none of the Stalingrad stuff where it's just grinding horror forever. Everybody's starving mm-hmm. to death and endless monstrous reality, right? No, that doesn't exist for us. We had a little bit of rationing. A little bit, not much. <laughs> like literally no, there was almost no rationing in world war ii right in in north america a little a few things were hard to get yeah. but in 
in, in Russia. They're fucking eating each other. It's bad. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's why. Well, that's what's so cool is 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 PKD is really good at time traveling us right into the period that he is existing in, and then thinking, imagining what we are going like if it was set in our reality, it would be just as weird, right? If not weirder than the reality that, that is set out in this story. Yeah. And it's nothing. And it, I, other than <laughs> other than Blade Runner, the flying cars trope is not a big one uh, in actual science fiction, right? Sometimes there are stories that are set since Blade Runner. Some guy wrote a novel in the '80s and he's got a flying car, but yeah, flying cars exist, but that's not the focus. But that's the focus for the movies, right? Yeah, always. Where's my flying car? It's a, it's a trope. I was promised a flying flying car. That, yeah, that was even David Graeber's question. He gave this talk about bureaucratic technologies, and he was saying like the, all I, I don't know. In some ways, this is I, I he's oversimplifying it certainly. But he was saying like the technologies of the 19th century science fiction all came true, like Jules Verne, mm-hmm. the hot air balloon and the submarine and tanks and that stuff. Was it Wells who talks about tanks somewhere? Yep. Uh, but the technologies of the 20th century, we're not getting. We're not getting. And his example was a flying car. And then he blamed bureaucracy for it. This is when he was researching his book on bureaucracy. The thing is, is uh, most of the time when people are saying, you know, look, this writer predicted something. Um, it's not true. Like Jules Verne, I mean, he, he predicted uh, a voyage to the moon, but he didn't use rockets, right? He uses a cannon. Yeah. Um, and submarines existed well before 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. They, didn't, they weren't atomic submarines, right? Um, but it is true that, um, you know, Wells did invent a tank in a certain story, except it's not really a tank. It's more like a train. Uh, iron land ironclads it's called that story um so we do have flying cars but they're only for billionaires they're called helicopters right <laughs> if you if you yeah, if you live in new york and you have your own building and you want to go from the, your airport where you arrive by rocket shuttle right to the, your building that has a helicopter pad on the roof you get in your flying car that has a driver and takes you there so we're we're getting everything we were promised. It's just not uh, we weren't. It wasn't promised the, the to future, us. It was promised to the billionaires. <laughs> yeah, the future's not evenly distributed as William Gibson said. And maybe and may never be. <laughs> and may never be. Yeah, maybe. we're not getting ha- flying helicopters. Uh, there are in the 1950s there were flying cars. You know there was a there was a I was fascinated to discover there's this model that it, it's a car. It has these wings that can be attached to it. You drive, you drive it, you drive it to the airport, and then you take the trailer and you attach the parts from the trailer to the to the roof of the car, and you drive that down the runway, and then you take off and you land in your next city, and you take off, you know, you get rent a trailer there, and you tow around or you park your wings there and then drive around town. It's like it is, it is what you were promised. It's just with practical technology, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys, um, the, I think we're getting close to the end of the show. I wanted to ask you about this and see what you thought. Did you guys see uh, Black Panther? Because I just watched it the other day. I did. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I watched it the other day, and it has flying cars in it, uh, or flying whatever those things are. And I was, I, was, I was really looking forward to it because everybody's saying how good it was and how happy they were that it was so good. 
But I Uh-oh. but I just seen Thor Ragnarok, which I had no expectations for, because it's a fucking Thor movie and it's the third one, and I don't care that much about <laughs> Thor, right? Um, so why did you watch it, Jesse? Uh, because I wanted to. I like I like Marvel. I, I like Marvel movies. I I think they're fun, right? I, I even watched that Spider Man movie, Homecoming. Because one of my students said, no, it's really good, Jesse. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Spider-Man. I saw the first Spider-Man <laughs> movies. It's, I, I don't want to see their endless reboots. And no, no, it's actually quite good, Jesse. So I watched the Spider-Man movie. Oh, it's not bad. Yeah, it's, I fell asleep because one not, time. But yeah, it's, it's good. Because it's not a reboot, unlike yeah. um, unlike unlike the previous Spider-Man movies. Exactly. I mean, Spider-Man got rebooted for five minutes in one of the captain america movies and here he just does his thing which makes it a stronger movie in many respects so yeah i'm watching i'm watching the spider-man and i thought oh, okay i'll watch the thor ragnarok i watched that like holy cow this is the best thor movie and it's one of the best marvel movies because it's it's really funny and and uh hulk shows up and hulk's really great in it and and you know it's got a bunch of clunky stuff that they always have to do for plot purposes but but other than that, uh, the dialogue's good. It's snappy. The director is the guy who did uh, what we do in the shadows, um, and he, mm-hmm. he shows up as a character in in um, in the movie as well. And it's it's like more like Guardians of the Galaxy than it is like a Thor movie. No, it is it is in di- dis- distant space, so yeah, it's that good makes stuff, sense. Right? That it has that feel. So then I I said, oh boy, I'm I'm on a winning streak. So I go and watch the Black Panther movie, and I'm like, uh, when is this movie gonna start? And then I realize, oh, it's not a superhero movie. It's some sort of something else. And I'm thinking, why is everything about vibranium? Like it's it powers it powers their their flying spaceships. I guess it's indestructible metal like uh, adamantium or something. And it's a healing thing. And and then they have this flower yeah. that that can make people give, give, give superpowers give you superpowers yes. and then they have a counter flower does that come from vibranium too or i guess so. no i guess so. no, because what? the vibranium it grows there. in the vibranium <laughs> soil or whatever <laughs> but the thing is is if you actually had this technology a flower that a drug that could help people heal and you're hoarding it you're fucking monsters right you're fucking monsters because that's like a hoarding. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a Rick and Morty episode? I think they did something oh, like that. <laughs> Rick and Morty is good at satirizing everything, so I, I would but expect yeah. so. It does engage with that whole idea like, why should Wakanda hold, withhold everything? And what, what, why why are we keeping this to ourselves where we could be helping the world? I mean, grant, granted, gr- granted, uh, the main antagonist wants to do it by conquering the world, but the, the main antagonist in this movie actually has a point, and it's like, well, why are we hoarding all this stuff when we could actually actually be out there helping people? We we are you're you're being horrible by being selfish, mm. and the, I, I, I mean I, he, I was he, not he, moved. I was not moved by. I, I've seen the the guy. Um, I think it's farewell to the king, the actor who plays the Black Panther main character. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's really he was really good in a Netflix movie. Uh, I think it's Farewell to the King or Farewell from the King. Um, just terrific movie, you know, very noir and and great acting, nice twist ending. This one, I'm like, sort of, it's there's a few jokes, um, there's a few l- digs like at white people uh, being colonialists. Uh, what do you want, colonialists or something like? Ah, okay, I can see why that's an applause line. Ultimately, it comes down to this technology, which is a bullshit technology. You know, vibranium shouldn't be the focus, the, the what do they call it, uh, 
MacGuffin. Everybody wants this stuff. And I was like, oh. It, it's not that it was a bad movie. It's just like compared to Thor, which made me laugh a whole bunch of times and has a bunch of cool scenes where, you know, oh, I think this is actually taken from a comic book where they actually got... Like, I read some Black Panther. I'm not... I'm not I didn't read it at the time, but I read it more recently. And I love that he... he like. He gets into the fights with the KKK, right? Really kicks some ass. And then he takes on political uh, corruption, and he he's in dealing with American street politics. And this was not. It was a it was a fantasy, 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 fantasy. But the but but set up as a. This is why Paul, I was saying we need Robert Heinlein, right? Is because. When he creates a, a fantasy technology, it's only to do a particular job or to give a political lecture, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not for purposes of a MacGuffin. So there's two bad guys in that uh, Black Panther movie, and neither one of them helps me be interested in, in the story. So I was really disappointed because I guess my expectations were very high. Everybody loves Thor Everybody loves that movie. The Thor Ragnarok is a lot more of a fun movie. It's like if you want to sit down with some with with some friends and watch something fun, Thor Ragnarok is one of the Yeah, I'm recommending it to everybody. Like that wow, what a what a surprise that a third Thor movie would actually be the you know, I don't remember the third Iron Man movie at all. The third third Iron Man movie is better than the second. That's all I can say. I don't remember really. the second either. <laughs> the second, the second was the second was not very good. The, the, the in third, my opinion, uh, the third um, Thor movie it it even does this whole Battlestar Galactica thing. You know, like uh, it becomes like a a decent idea film in a certain sense. And you know, and we know how you love those ideas. I do, I do. So. Anybody else have a take on Black Panther? Not that it's related. It's just it's flying cars, as you were promised. Flying cars, and it's in the as, present world. I just like the, I I like this. Um, I, you know, I I I'm struggling how to start this. I've always been interested in these black African American narratives of Africa. Mm-hmm. So I like the movie for that reason. Because it was an expression in a tradition that goes back all the way to even the antebellum period, where free black preachers were were dreaming of Liberia as a possible like you know a way to bring liberty and these kind of new world values to to Africa, and you know that this kind of projecting onto Africa these dreams by the diaspora, it, it's something I've I've read a bit about and 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 thought about and I've even you know had to give some lectures on this te- theme when I taught African American history, so I like that about about the movie. Uh, yeah, Liberia is a, a so in a way, fascinating I like the, place the, because the it it is a fictional country made real, right? It it is let's let's have this place, and then they well, do it's it. Fictional, but I think it's it's real in in certain imaginations of of Africa. It, of course, it's exaggerated, but there is this. This idea that, uh, like the, you know, these ancient civilizations, Africa is the homeland. The whole Afrocentric narrative, I guess. I mean, there's even some radical Afrocentrists who say it was black people who brought civilization to the Americas and China and other places, and not just the Greeks. 
And that was the, like the original Afrocentric argument was basically Greek philosophy comes from Egypt, which is African, right? And then so kind of reclaiming Africa, Egypt, and then from there, you're able to see the African influence on the Mediterranean. And then others have gone farther and even see African influences in other, other cultures. And it gets more and more dubious as these historians go out there. But there is this, this idea in some Afrocentric philosophy of, of this kind of homeland for humanity and these deep traditions and kind of a unified African way of looking at the world. And I, I just found it rather, rather fascinating to see that in a Marvel movie. It wasn't a bad movie. It's just like, um, I don't, uh, it was getting praised like that of Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, like everybody loved it. I, I, I thought Ant-Man was really good. Um, yeah, I like that. Uh, it's fun, right? It's fun. It's got it's it's got a a different kind of main character. Um, it's, it, it, well, the, the the idea of a company, the the villain is so believable now. And actually, I think the mm-hmm. the maybe that he can't use a suit on the first day that may not be the believable. But a, a court, uh, you know, an amoral corporate suit using you know selling technology to whoever will buy it. Right. Yeah, that's no, not thinking of the consequences. That's totally believable. Yeah. That's yeah, way but up there. Come... The Marvel believability. It's him and actually the, the 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 Iron Man villains are kind of in the same way. Yeah, it's, Justin it's Hammer the same stuff. and yeah, Avendenko yeah. yeah. and all the all, and the Mandarin and all the rest. But the tying flying cars with Heinlein, Jesse. The first time I think I came across flying cars in fiction was a. Highline novel, Number of the Beast. Yeah, yeah, that's just a, a flying car in it. It's it, it's right on the cover of uh, the version yep. I got, and um, yep, the, the gay deceiver. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely, I love Highline's <laughs> cars. They're funny. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's got a weird thing going on. I just did the show notes, and we talked so much about how how weird he is um, sexually. <laughs> just, <laughs> Yeah, spanking but, yeah, people but, with yeah. their own swords and, and so oh, stupid. Oh God! Yes, oh, <laughs> so oh Jesse! But yeah, flying flying <laughs> cars are. I mean, ever since I mean, Blade, Blade, Blade Runner brought it to the masses as a whole. Made it, flying made cars it real, made it fiction. manifest, right, in a way that you yeah. don't see it elsewhere. So, so of course, so of course, this the the, the TV version of uh, Exhibit Piece, uh, Real Life, had to have a flying car because that's. That's the science fiction reality. That's that's <laughs> the evidence. Even, even, I mean, even now in our present, we have probes running around Mars. We have spacecraft exploring the solar system. We have telescopes in orbit. But it doesn't feel we have we have an internet that most science fiction writers never dreamed of. But what we don't have, we don't have the iconic science fiction car flying cars. If we did, then we could say we're living in a science fiction present. Without them, we really it's like. But where's the flying cars? Yeah, but on the other hand, I, I would also say that it, what, what's why that sh- why the show, even though it's it is the best of the bunch and actually worth watching, get re- real life. The reason that it's not great in the way that this story is, or you know, just other great science fiction is, is because it's not taking a lead at all. It is not showing us telescopes in space and transforming our way of re- looking at reality as it actually is. What it does is mm-hmm. instead it says, look, advertising floating outside your window and your window can change into, you know, a nighttime water sphere and, and also uh, flying cars, right? These are nothing, there's nothing new in it. It's all derivative. And, yeah. o- and they're not even particularly Promethean technologies. Sorry? 
they're not even particularly Promethean technologies. No, no. Like, about lots, we could have better ways of maybe managing crime than a mid nineteenth century invention like the police. Yeah, it's. Like it, we're still stuck in these, you know, these. Yeah, if we know, if, old if we were to vi- visit a classroom yeah. in that in that uh, like. Think of how many TV shows are set uh, in the classroom, an institution that is far more pervasive than mm-hmm. than uh, cops. And, uh, you know, there are cops everywhere, especially in the States, all the different levels of cops, right? There's cops everywhere. But schools are much more common. And how often do you have a TV show set in a classroom? There's the occasional uh, Teacher Makes a Difference movie, but there's... Almost no. Uh, welcome back, Cotter. Is how far we have to go back to find an actual classroom. No, no. He- he- head of the class. Head of the class. Yeah. What's that? It was those, those were the elite. Not, those are the smart kids, not the elite, but those are the, yeah, those high, are school, smart kids. high school kids. shows too. You know, like freaks and geeks, and but but it's not about the classroom. It's not a. It's yeah. not about the. Um, it's not about the, the learning experience. The, oh, yeah, the learning experience or the teaching experience. You know, like what you can get. Okay. I mean, the politics of a classroom. I'm speaking as a teacher, but just the fact that you know there are in my city there are dozens and dozens of schools with dozens and dozens of classrooms in each, and there's only one police station, right? Why? Mm-hmm. What's the inherent drama? It's just easier. It's just easier to follow the trend than it is to pioneer something. And that's the, the, ultimately why it doesn't work as a as a, as a a transformational piece. Not that I'm saying that exhibit piece is, but exhibit piece exemplifies an actual science fiction that actually people who read actual science fiction can experience. Whereas when you just watch a movie and you're not particularly into, you know, thinking about the, what, what do you call it? The uh, Promethean technologies, right? Um, it, it, yeah. What's so interesting is exhibit piece, the stories, perhaps not even science fiction, right? It could be just psychological and fantasy. It would need not be yeah. published in a mm-hmm. science fiction magazine. Except for the fact that it's set in the future. I guess. That's the, that, but, well, but, but yeah, but, but this is the story set in the future science fiction by default or not that's a but that's only then now that's only then paul because today everything is science fiction on television right amazon is ordering tons of television science fiction and netflix is they just announced the majority of their new acquisitions will be science fiction so yeah but the expanse got canceled uh, so i'm sad well yeah but i that that that's hard science fiction, Paul. We don't like that stuff. We only like uh, I do. We only like flying cars and cops. Don't you understand? <laughs> flying cars and cops. That's all. But billionaires, but don't forget billionaires. Flying cars, there's cops, cop. and billionaires. He's a that's it. There's no billionaires in the expanse, but there's a there's a cop. Yeah. I so. think that's why the um the ending of the TV show, which I think that whole series has bad endings and this was one of the better ones mm-hmm. but it's still not very good um it's it doesn't have that impact of the philip k dick short story when you realize like that image of the guy in the pinstripe suit sitting in an exhibition smoking a cigar and thinking he's in the past like just leaving on that image is so much more interesting than 
the TV show, which is like, is it this reality or that reality? They're both kind of futuristic. Which one is it? Ah, it's that one. And then there's a few tears, it, it, but it's not it really like that. Had it been like a Black that. Mirror episode, and this is pretty close, as close as they've come, I think, to a Black Mirror episode. Um, mm-hmm. What would have what would have it been like? It would have been mm-hmm. a lot more edgy, a lot more different. This feels really safe and and almost yeah. too safe. More mainstream. Yeah. It's the same thing I have every time I watch one of these episodes, which is that about halfway through, I'm really into it. And then by the end, I end up leaving a little bit disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news well, is there are the we... ones that I had as well. Mm. Go for it, Emma. Well, there's one thing we haven't mentioned mm-hmm. yet. Maybe it's because I just was thinking of it. Maybe it doesn't really belong here. But the Duangzi was actually referenced both in the story, not directly, but the but it's in the, the TV show and the story. The so in the Zhuangzi, this was a Chinese Taoist text from the you know long ago, and this is I mean I think most people have heard the story uh, that was retold in the Zhuangzi or told in the Zhuangzi, and that's the one where the guy dreams he's a butterfly or you know is he a guy dreaming a butterfly mm, or whatever mm-hmm. and this is the quote like once Zhuangzhou dreamed he was a butterfly a butterfly fluttering happily around he was reveling what he himself meant to be he knew nothing of Joe all that all at once awakening they there suddenly he was Joe Joe is the guy's name but he didn't know if he was Joe having dreamed he was a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming he was Joe between Joe and the butterfly there must surely have been some distinction this is known as a transformation of things, end quote. Mm. So that's that's that story, and it's been retold so many times. But actually, if you read all of the Zhuangzi, there's this theme that it doesn't really matter, and there's not much you can do about it. And you just sort of go with your, your place in the world. And, he, and there's a lot of these different stories, and they're a bit hard to interpret, but they seem to come down to animals or people or professions that see the world in different ways than other people or other animals. And you just kind of have to go with it. Mm. And it's, I think that's where, I mean, Dick doesn't choose one the way I think the, the TV show did that a little bit more right. clearly. With that scene at the end with her comatose, whatever. That seemed to make a choice. And if we're going to be stick with the, the Zhuangzi, I think it's, it, you shouldn't make a choice there. You just yeah. live the life you're in, right? Yeah, and leave it ambiguous. And that's partially the character's problem. Morris's problem in the story is he's not doing that, right? That's why he's got this nostalgia. It's funny. You know, there's all this nostalgia now for previous years, for the 80s, right? That Ready Player One movie. I didn't see it, but it seems... I lived full. through the 80s. There's so much of this nostalgia. <laughs> and I don't know if it's healthy. No, it's not really. healthy at all. What, uh, <laughs> what's that What's that uh, show? Um, uh, South Park had a little... Member berries. They did this whole se- a oh, whole yeah, season of of member, and and it's based on the Star Wars being <laughs> all about nostalgia for Star Wars. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you remember Chewbacca? Chewbacca, I remember him. <laughs> it's like, fuck you guys, you. F- and uh, literally, I just saw yesterday. I, I I thought I was hallucinating. They're gonna they're rebooting on CBS Magnum PI. And Wait, what? I love Magnum Why? PI. As uh, in the '80s, I wanted to be a detective and drive a Ferrari, and it's a and it's so good. In, if you guys Hawaii? if you guys watch the show, it's really cool because it actually is almost Philip K. Dickian. At one point, they have an episode where he's in a coma, 
and they say you think you're a detective and you make money and 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 you live on an estate of a billionaire who you never see you get to drive a car um a ferrari and you're a, a detective on an island with so few people i don't think so right oh and his friend has a helicopter a flying car that he can take him at any point just casually anywhere his other friend runs a bar called rick's which is literally a reference to casablanca um mm-hmm. uh it's like it is a fantasy world that is acknowledging that it's maybe a fantasy that that's really cool um and so i watched the trailer for this and i'm like this can't be real i thought it was a spoof no they're doing a complete reboot including the same helicopter the same ferrari right some is it is it set in the 80s it's uh, I, no it's not but it, it it might as well be because uh what but the difference is on that show right it was a detective story of the week uh you know some issue and with a howley you know that's the, the white guy on a on hawaii that's what they call them howleys um it, it often dealt with you know uh the navy or um some sort of actual issue that's about hawaii or some military from world war ii japanese guy comes over and higgins was you know fought him on an island like iwo jima or whatever right it was it was all based on sort of actual issues about hawaii so i was i was watching this trailer and they do all the things they have all the things that they had on the show like the estate and the friend and the helicopter and the car and and then it turns into an action explosion show where the car gets what? machine gunned to death and then uh, he gets a new car and that goes flying off the cliff and he's jumping, you know, like they do in those Call of Duty games where somebody's jumping from the car that's falling off the cliff into towards a helicopter that's got the door open and he's reaching up to reach and he's got it on, right? Oh it's like, God. oh my God, what? you cannot... What? This is... <laughs> no. We are... Hollywood is eating itself. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's so quickly digesting the past that it's going to be starting recycling things from last year. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's it, everything is turning into this. It's unbelievable. Oh God. <laughs> that's, that's, a ter- that's a terrible way to end this podcast, Jesse. So we have something something positive. We need something. We positive need to escape in into the 1950s, Paul. Or, or escape or, or, or escape to the lesbian supercop future <laughs> of the TV show. I'll take either one. Everybody gets point. everybody everybody gets lesbian wives. Yay! And flying cars. <laughs> <laughs> provided by our, provided by the police department. Meanwhile, poor Philip K. Dick is paying the robot bus driver to drive him to work. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor and getting Philip harassed about his clothing. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Hello, how are you guys doing? You, you said it wrong, though. It's Gorning. <laughs> <laughs> Gorning. 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 I think that's a pretty good one.